0: Well, welcome back to Christianity 101. This is lesson two, and we call this one the authority of God's Word. I thought, what better way to start Christianity 101 with our first lesson being on the authority of God's Word. Apart from this Bible right here, we have nothing to stand on. This, this book right here is what sets us apart. We live by it. We breathe by it. Technically, this written word, the Logos, as the Greek calls it, the Logos of God, it is our spiritual DNA. The Bible says in 1 Peter, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, of the Word of God that lives and abides forever. So the Word there, Word of God in 1 Peter, is Logos, the written Word of God. That's how we were born again. And so one of the things I see and I teach from time to time, is we're born again of the Logos, the written Word of God. It's our spiritual DNA. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new, and all things are of God. It is what makes us a new creature, the Word of God. And that's why our theme verse is so critical. Receive with meekness the engrafted Word, which is able to, make you, or which is able to save your soul. Receive with meekness the engrafted word. The, the word engrafted in the Greek means inborn. It's a genetic term. Engrafted is kind of a bad translation. Don't tell the guy that named the church that. But engrafted is kind of a bad translation in the Greek. But it means inborn or it's a genetic and instilled. The word of God has been instilled in us in the new birth. And so what that tells me is that we've got the word of God in us in the new birth. It's, it's made our spirit man new. But we still have to receive it. This word was able to make us wise into salvation. This word is good for doctrine, for instruction, for correction. This word is forever settled under heaven. And the Bible even tells us that God has exalted his word even above his own name. And so any church that begins to diminish the Holy Scriptures is in dangerous territory, dangerous waters. And we're never going to do that by God's grace, we'll never deny his word. We may debate doctrines. We may debate interpretations of scriptures, but at least the foundation of our debate is this is the inerrant, flawless word of God. It was good for grandma, good for grandpa, good for the founding fathers, good for Paul, and bless God, it is good enough for me. Technology or no technology, it's still the word of God. So let us look at our curriculum here. As Christians, we base our doctrine and our faith on the Bible, also called God's Holy Scriptures. We believe that the Bible is God-breathed and God-inspired. Now, This isn't a class to explain how we got our scriptures, how the, the Antonicene fathers were able to canonize the Bible, and what litmus tests they used to determine which epistles were God-breathed and which were just letters of transaction. But we know... I'll tell you this. One of the one of the evidences, one of the litmus tests the church fathers uh, determined was uh, there's a fancy theological term, but basically affectability. When you read, when you read a passage, when you read scriptures, did it have this thing about it that was able to affect you? Because when you know God's word, you can read something that's not God's word and know that's not God's word. The, the founding fathers were so skilled in the words of God and the, the Old Testament and the prophets and Moses and the law and the Psalms. You could read some of these epistles by Paul and say, that was breathed of God. Look at how it's changed our lives. The Bible is our guide. It's our law, our light. It's our lamp and it's our standard. The wonderful thing about our Bible is that it was canonized uh, 1,700 years ago from scriptures written 2,000 years ago, and it has not changed. It's black and white. The words of Christ are in red, written at about an eighth grade level. The organization of the scriptures has not changed in over 1,000 years. And so it's not like God keeps changing the rules on us. It's forever settled. It is what it is, and it's been changing lives, overhauling kingdoms, setting people free for 2,000 years. The more we know it, the better off our life will be. And in the day that you live in, you're going to have to work harder to spend more time in this than ever before. There's so many things now that compete for our attention. We're very easily distracted. We recently saw a study where it said uh, they have measured scientifically that goldfish actually have a longer attention span than the typical 13-year-old kid does today. They, they, I don't, part of the test was they put a mirror in a goldfish bowl and the goldfish could stare at himself for 9.8 seconds before he got bored and looked away. And I don't know if they put a mirror in front of a kid or something else in front of a kid and they looked at it for 9.3 seconds before they looked away. So congratulations, America. Your kids have a shorter attention span than goldfish now. I say all that to say we're going to have to work harder to spend more time in this Word. God's Word gives us vision and inspiration. The Bible provides all believers with the same basis of faith. We all have the same Bible, Now we might have a King James translation, or an NIV translation, or an NAS translation, or ESV translation, or Amplified translation, but we're all basically working from the same manual. And so it should be producing the same fruit in all of our lives if we're all studying it equally, living it equally, seeking God equally. If we cannot agree the Bible is God's word spoken to us, then we will be tossed to and fro with all types of bizarre and devilish doctrines. And again, for our church, this is, this is what we teach from. Service after service after service after service after service. This is what we write all of our curriculum from. We might throw scientific facts in there. or We might throw a quote in there or a quote, a historical effect or an event. But this is our text, Ninety. 99% of what we're teaching and preaching comes from this. The other 1% might be a story. It might be a historical fact. It might be a scientific fact. It might be something taught as an allegory. But this textbook right here, oh, nobody's mastered this thing yet except for Jesus. The Word of God is our anchor and our foundation. Let's read 2 Peter chapter 1 here, verses 20 and 21. Peter said, Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation for the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man but holy men of god spake as they were moved by the holy ghost this is scripture confirming to us by the apostle peter that these scriptures are not just man writing down whimsical thoughts these scriptures are not men just kind of waxing poetic or wanting to be smarty pants or developing philosophies, these scriptures are breathed by God. I like something he said before that in Second uh, Peter chapter 1. Paul, excuse me, Peter's talking about when he was on the Mount of Transfiguration and he saw Jesus transfigured and Moses and Elijah appeared. And then he heard a voice from heaven and the voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. So Peter's talking about seeing the word made flesh in front of him. That's Jesus. Transfigured to a glowing, glorified body. And then Moses and Elijah manifest and come out of eternity. And they're talking about Jesus' death, the Gospels record. And then God speaks. So there's all these voices going on. There's Moses and Elijah talking to Jesus about Jesus' death, his impending crucifixion. There's Jesus talking back about his crucifixion. Jesus is the word. He's made flesh, and then God speaks from heaven. So there's a lot of talking going on, and it's all supernatural, and it's all divine. That's the setting. Verse 18 says, And this voice which came from heaven we heard when we were with him in the Holy Mount. Verse 19, We have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereinto we do well that we take heed, as unto a light that shineth in a dark place, until the day dawn and the day star arise in our hearts. Notice that Peter says as supernatural and divine and real as that voice from heaven was, he said we have a more sure word of prophecy referencing the holy scriptures. That's how much Peter believed it. Even though God himself spoke and that is now part of our holy scriptures, Peter said I have a more sure word and that is the written Bible. 2 Timothy 3:15 says talking to Paul talking to Timothy he said and that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus now when Paul wrote this there was no new testament so the holy scriptures that were able to make Timothy wise unto salvation was uh, genesis to malachi matthew wasn't written yet peter hadn't started writing yet James maybe had just written his epistle to the Hebrew believers. James' epistle was written in about 48 A.D. But when Paul wrote this to Timothy, there was no New Testament. The Holy Scriptures referred to here is the Old Testament. That lets us know that even the Old Testament has the ability to make us wise unto the salvation that is through faith in Jesus Christ. Timothy goes, uh, Paul goes on to say, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God, that is God-breathed. And it is profitable for doctrine. That even means, like Leviticus and the genealogies that are so boring to some, and the Levitical book of Leviticus, which covers all the laws of the Levitical priesthood. Even that is profitable for doctrine. Uh, Leviticus may be described as the most legalistic book in the entire Bible, except that it is profitable for doctrine. Like, for example, Leviticus chapter 19 has this really famous commandment that says, love thy neighbor as thyself. You ever heard that scripture before? That's in the middle of Leviticus. That's in the most legalistic chapter of the entire Bible. The entire chapter is nothing but commandments. I believe there are 34 commandments. And in that chapter, 30 or 31 of those commandments are found in the New Testament. All scripture is profitable for doctrine, for a reproof. For correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect. We could say woman of God may be perfect, that is mature, and throughly or thoroughly furnished into all good works. Notice that it says, it implies here, if you're not in the Scriptures, you're not going to be instructed. If you're not in the Scriptures, you're not going to be corrected. If you're not corrected, it means you're going to stay wrong. If you're not in the Scriptures, you're not going to be reproved, which means you keep going in the wrong direction. If you're not in the Scriptures, you're not going to be mature. It is impossible to be a mature Christian without knowing this Bible, without studying it on a regular basis. And notice, finally, that without this Bible, you'll never be furnished or capable of goodly biblical works. There's a lot of good works that goes on in the community now. We have the hashtag social justice movement, hashtag blessed hashtag picking up trash, hashtag putting shoes on orphans, that's all great. But notice you won't be thoroughly furnished unto God's good works without Scripture. Just because you're putting shoes on somebody doesn't mean God's pleased with it. Think about that. Matthew five eighteen, Jesus said, for verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. Jot and tittles Refer to the punctuation in the Hebrew alphabet, the little bitty dots, the little apostrophes. Jesus said, basically, the Old Testament is so accurate, the law is so precise, and Jesus came to fulfill all of it. Even the punctuation is trustworthy. I once had a a kind of a debate or an argument or a discussion with a Sunday school class, and they were asking, can we trust God's word? And that, that question is demonic. Unless you're going to answer it rhetorically and say, yes, it is. And here's 65 reasons why you can trust it. They were not answering it biblically. They were basically sowing doubt and unbelief into all these college kids. So I raised my hand and quoted this scripture. And I said, if Jesus Christ, the word made flesh, declared that we can trust punctuation in periods. Then I believe we can count everything else as trustworthy. And then I said, why are we debating this? And, of course, that ruffled everybody's feathers. But then again, I want to stand for the Word. And they obviously wanted to debate. I don't know why. Why do you even seek God if you just want to debate the validity of His Word? I, I choose to believe it. And it confirms itself. The Word of God has two forms. And this is important for us to understand. It has the spoken form, which is the Greek word rhema. Brother Hagen called his Bible school rhema Bible Training Center, or RBTC. And then we have the written word, or logos. And before there could ever be a logos, a written word, there had to be first a spoken word. That's kind of how you speak or dictate something, and then it's transcribed or written down. The Bible is God's spoken word written down and recorded for us. Even as Second Peter said, For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. And so, for instance, the Spirit of God would speak to Isaiah and he would declare it. And many of these prophets did have a scribe or a servant that would write down their prophecies. Jeremiah is an excellent book that demonstrates this. The book of Jeremiah, which is the longest book in the Bible, even longer than Psalms, has, uh, word for word anyway. Maybe not by chapter, but by the amount of wordage. It's a collection of Jeremiah's prophecies. And so he would prophesy, and somebody was writing them down. Theologians believe maybe he wrote some down. He has a servant that's mentioned. Perhaps he wrote them down. Church historians also believe that the first, one of the first church deacons, Prochorus, in the book of Acts, when they selected out seven men full of the Holy Ghost and faith to take care of the Grecian widows, church history tells us that when John the Baptist, excuse me, John the Revelator was condemned to the Isle of Patmos. He was in his 90s and very aged, and he was blind. And so when he was condemned to Patmos, which was an island basically to designed to kill the inhabitants of it, it was a prison island. You weren't getting off of it. You were basically going to starve to death if you couldn't fight for yourself, or you might be hurt by the other thieves and political exiles on that island. If he hadn't gone, if he'd gone alone, he might have died. History teaches us that Prochorus went with him. Prochorus turned over his church. I believe he was the bishop of the church of Lydda. He turned his church over and condemned himself with John the Baptist to the Isle of Patmos in order to care for the aged apostle. And so that leads us to the revelation, John's last or one of his last works. History believes, church history believes, that it was Prochorus who penned the revelation. John the Revelator being blind. How would he have written down what he was seeing by the Spirit of God? And so he's seeing and hearing from the Lord Jesus Christ the revelation, the last book of our Bible. And Prochorus is there while John the Revelator is caught up into the third heavens on the Lord's day. And Prochorus is transcribing what he hears the prophet, the apostle John saying. So you have rhema, spoken word, logos, written word. We also know the Word of God can be written upon the tables of our heart. But when we pray, we're speaking the written Word. When we pray scriptures, we're speaking or making the Logos back into the Rhema. And you see it works back and forth constantly, almost like water evaporating, becoming moisture or water vapor, then it recondensing and becoming water. Water again. It's a, a phase diagram. It phases back and forth between Rhema, Logos, Logos, Rhema. Either way, you must have both of them in your life. This this comes to me while I'm thinking about it. The devil knows how critical the Rhema word is, the spoken word. The devil understands that we cast demons out through speaking the word of God. The devil doesn't have a problem if you have a logos, a Bible what he has tremendous problems with is if you open it, read it, and begin to declare it, begin to pray it. One of the greatest strategies the devil has ever propagated against the western church is he has convinced Christians they can pray silently and that God receives it and accepts it. There's not a single biblical example of silent prayer, and one of the reasons for that is that silent prayer never converts the Logos to Rhema. It keeps Logos mental. You have got to speak the written word. And when you do, you'll begin to change things. Jesus said, speak to the mountain. Speak to the sycamine tree. If you have faith in your heart as a grain of a mustard seed, you should say, and it would obey. The Bible says, speak, cast out devils. They said of Jesus, this man casteth out devils with his word spoken. The devil loves us to be silent Christians. You shouldn't be. We are to take the written word, write it upon our heart, and then speak it into the earth. And God promises that his word will not return unto him void, but it will accomplish everything that he sends it to accomplish. So if you'll start speaking the things, you can start changing things. But you have to know the written word of God. And allow it to become a spoken word. And at the same time, as you seek God, He'll speak to you as well. He'll speak to you by His Spirit. And you must make sure you always take those unctions, those anointings, those prophetic words, as we call them, and you judge them by the Scriptures. Because remember, as Peter said, I heard God the Father. I saw Jesus the Son. I saw them talking Moses, Elijah, talking about His death. And yet the Bible was a more sure word than what I heard God say from heaven. This Bible is is what we exalt above any experience. This Bible is what we exalt above any hurt, any harm, any voice. 1 thir- uh, Corinthians 14 says there's so many voices in the earth and none is without signification. We need to make sure we're judging every voice by the Scriptures. First John says we try the spirits. But well, how do we try them? By the Word of God. What God's word accomplishes us. Let's look at a couple scriptures here. I'm going to run through these. Number one, it saves us. I quoted this earlier, I think. 1 Peter one twenty three, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which lives and abides forever. Praise God. The word of God saves us. The word of God heals us. Psalm 107.20 says he sent his word and healed us and delivered us from our destruction. It cleanses us. John 15:3 says, "Now you are clean by the word which I have spoken." What's Ephesians 5:26 say? "I don't know what that one says. Those others, I know better. Ephesians 5:26, "That the Lord might sanctify and cleanse the church with the washing of water by the word." So the word of God cleanses us. That's another reason we read the Bible and pray it out loud. It'll spiritually wash you. It'll wash you of stress. It'll wash you of angst, anger, bitterness, resentment. It'll, it'll wash the filth of the world right off of you. But you got to speak it. It brings peace. John 16, He says, My peace I leave unto you, not as the world giveth I. Let's read it. Make sure that's the right one. John 16, 33. These things I have spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. Notice there, spoken. The spoken word that you might have peace. And then Acts 10.36. I know what Acts 10.38 says. I don't know what Acts 10.36 says. The word which God sent unto the children of Israel, preaching peace by Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. The word which God sent preaches peace. Praise God. It provides faith to us. John four forty one. Let's see what John four forty one. I know what Romans ten eight and seventeen says. John four forty one. It's good to read these scriptures. And many more believed because of his own word. Notice that the word accomplishes faith. Many more believed because of the word that was spoken. Romans 10, 8 and 10, 17 says, So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Uh, Romans 10, 8 in particular says, This then is the word of faith. I'll quote that one to you. But what saith it? The word is nigh thee, even in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. The word of God is not meant to stay in your heart. The word of God is not meant to stay on paper, the Word of God is meant to be in your mouth, and when the Word of God is on your mouth, it becomes the Word of faith. Paul said, which we preach. We preach the Word of faith, not just knowing. There's a big difference between Scripture in your mind and Scripture in your heart. The agnostic, the the Christ-hater, the Christ-mocker, the, the academic can, can commit a lot of Scripture to mind. It never means they get Scripture in their heart. Because once Scripture is written on the tables of your heart, you can't help but have faith in Jesus Christ. Matthew 8, 16 lets us know that the word of God casts out devils. And that's why he says, he casteth out devils by his word. John 12, 48 says, the word of God judges us. Let's see what that verse says. He that rejecteth me and receives not my words has one that judges him. The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him. In the last day. Notice that the Word of God judges us, and it'll judge us in the last day. Hebrews four twelve says the word of God is quick and powerful, or sharp and powerful, uh, sharper than any two edged sword, piercing, even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, joint and marrow, and is a discerner or a judger of the thoughts, intentions, motives, directives of the heart. The word of God is quick and powerful, it's sharper, it cuts everything to ribbons. And it can judge the motives of our heart. 2 Timothy 3.15, which we just read, that the Holy Scriptures are able to make us wise unto salvation. Wisdom comes through knowing the Scriptures. There's a whole book of wisdom called Proverbs. In fact, Proverbs says of itself, if you reject the wisdom of God, it's what it says. I think this is Proverbs chapter 2. If you reject the wisdom of God, Proverbs says wisdom will mock you and laugh at you when your calamity comes. That's a hard verse. If you and I reject the wisdom of God brought through his word, wisdom will then turn and mock us and laugh at us and never answer us again. It's a good reason to study Proverbs and make sure we're, we're walking in wisdom and not foolishness. Second Peter tells us that we get doctrine from the word of God. We've looked at those two passages as well. It provides doctrine, reproof, correction. Uh, that the, the prophecies are not of any private interpretation, etc. Our next page says, everything must obey the word of God. I love this. Everything must obey the word of God. My mentor that I quote from time to time, Pastor Akwokwo, he was a, a tremendous Nigerian pastor with a tremendous church, probably the greatest student of the Bible I've ever met. He, he knew the Bible so well, he was a walking lexicon. You could quote a story, he could tell you right where it was. You could quote a verse, he could tell you the chapter. I don't know if I've ever met a man who knew the Bible so well. And he had tremendous signs and wonders in his ministry, had raised over 10 people from the dead, and pastored for about 35 years before he succumbed to the after effects of a stroke. Uh, He had gotten a little stubborn, refused to go to the doctor over the whole thing. But he told me this, He, he preached this in our church years ago. He said, everything obeys God but man. And I remember him talking about, he commands the ravens and they obey. He commands the the tides and they obey. He commands the sun and the moon and it obeys. He commands man and man argues back. He, He would say, how come everything God created obeys God except for man? And we know it's because we're stubborn and we have a free, stubborn will. Let's look at everything that must obey God. We're going to look at these verses, too. Because God's Word contains His power and authority. In fact, I'm going to read that verse, Hebrews 1-3. I promise you this. You cannot exalt God's Word enough in your own private life. This will be worth reading right here. Hebrews 1-3. Jesus, being the brightness of His glory and the express image of His person, And upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. He upholdeth all things by the word of his power. He upholds and maintains all things by this supernatural power called the word of God. The word of his power. Not the power of his word, the word that is the manifestation of his power. The word that is the spoken, manifested power. How do you tap into the power of God? Through word. Spoken word. How do you tap into the power? Through speaking the word. It, it puts word before power. It doesn't say the power of his word. The word of his power. Everything created must obey it and line up with it. One of the unique theological arguments is we know that God has never lied because everything still exists. He maintains all things by the word of his power if he were to ever lie or break a promise his word would lose half its value instantly and nothing would be held together but by the very fact we're still here means he's never lied furthermore because god's infinite and he inhabits all parts of time simultaneously being the alpha and the omega if god Had ever in any moment in future tense lied, we would cease to exist today. So by the very fact that we're recording this video or this audio and you're watching or listening, you haven't fallen apart. I haven't fallen apart. God has never lied and he's still true to his word. And if you'll claim his word, stick to his word, it'll come to pass for you. So weather, weather obeys God. I like that. Let's look at that story real quick. First Kings 17, 1. It's fun to look at these Bible stories. And Elisha the Tishbite, who was, the inhabit, uh, who was of the inhabitants of Gilead, said to Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel lives, before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years, but according to my command. The weather, it did not rain for three and a half years by the word of Elisha. And then after three and a half years, he commanded it to rain, and it rained again. Jesus rebuked the storm. It obeyed him. The storm stopped. The wind stopped. The wave stopped. That obeyed the Word of God. If you need to, you can command weather, if you need to. I think probably everybody in my church has some kind of testimony of them needing to command the rain or command a storm or command a blizzard or command sunshine, and it happened. You could call it happenstance, but then again... If about 90% of my church has a weather testimony, that's a little too coincidental, too. Animals. Genesis 9-2 is one of my favorite verses. It's promised to Noah getting off the ark. The Lord said, Behold, the fear and the dread of you shall be upon every animal. Genesis chapter 9-2. verse 2. And the fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and upon every fowl of the air, upon all that moveth upon the earth, upon all the fishes of the sea, into your hand are they delivered. Even animals obey the word of God. And then uh, 2 Kings 2.24, that's going to probably be when the ravens fed the prophet. 2 Kings 2.24. Oh, no. Different story. But the Lord commanded ravens to feed Elijah, and they did. And... Uh, they fed, they fed the prophet. Here's the story of Elisha. When he had turned back, he was being mocked by youth, teenagers. And he looked on them and cursed them in the name of the Lord. And there came forth two she-bears out of the wood and tear 40 and two children of them. You make fun of the preacher, he might just curse you and she-bears eat you. That's an odd judgment, isn't it? She-bears. Not he-bears. Not yogi-bears. yogi She-bears. She bears. They obeyed the curse delivered by the prophet, and they couldn't help but eat 42 kids. Tear them apart. That's a horrible way to die. Shouldn't mock the preacher. <laughs> Demons, we know, obey the word of God. Uh, Luke eight twenty-nine, Mark 5, 1 through 20. Mark 5 is the gathering demoniac. Let's see what Luke 8 is. Probably for my own benefit more than anybody. I'm always trying to learn scripture better. Luke chapter 8. We know we can cast out demons. It's a lot of fun. Sometimes it's a lot of work. Luke eight twenty nine. Ah, uh, Luke 8 is another version of the gathering demoniac. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For oftentimes it had caught him, and he was kept bound with chains and in fetters, and he broke the bands and was driven of the devil into the wilderness. So both Matthew 8 and Mark 5 are the gathering demoniac. We know sickness and disease obeys the word of God, and you should know that for your own life. Take authority. Matthew 8 talks about the Lord rebuking the fever. Oh, no, that's in Matthew 8, but that's in uh, verses 16 or 14. Jesus put forth his hand and touched him, saying, I will be thou clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And then sickness in Mark 2. But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. He said to the sick of the palsy, I say unto thee, arise, take up thy bed, and go thy way into thy house. He rebuked the palsy. He commanded the man to get up, and it happened. He rebuked leprosy. It obeyed him. He rebuked the fever that was on Peter's mother-in-law, and she got up, she arose, and ministered unto them. Trees. What? Trees? Well, let's look at what that says. Tree, wait, trees? Trees obey Jesus? All right, I got to read this. Trees obey Jesus. Matthew 21, and when he saw a fig tree in the way, he came to it and found nothing thereon but leaves only, and said unto it, let no fruit grow on thee henceforth forever, and presently the fig tree withered away. Oh, yeah, trees. He rebuked it, said you'll never produce fruit again, and the fig tree obeyed, never to produce fruit again. Luke 17 is going to be the same story. Let's take a look, make sure I'm right. These are fun. Mustard seed. The apostle said, increase our faith. And the the Lord said again, if you had the faith as a grain of a mustard seed, you might say unto this sycamine tree... Be thou plucked up by the root, be thou planted in the sea, and it should obey you. So fig trees and sycamine trees obey the spoken word of God. Not because you want to whimsically demonstrate faith, but if you need it, you can do it. Mountains, Isaiah 41, we'll speak to the mountain, we'll thresh it with a threshing instrument having teeth. Mark forty one fifteen says, I behold, I will make thee a new sharp threshing instrument, having teeth, thou shalt thresh the mountains and beat them small, and shall make the hills as chaff. And then of course Mark eleven, twenty two, Jesus said, If you have the faith of God, you can speak to this mountain, say be thou removed, be thou cast into the sea, and it shall obey you, and you'll have what you can say. So mountains, angels, they hearken, Psalm one oh three, angels hearken unto the voice of God's word. We don't ever talk much about angels, but they are spirits sent forth to minister to us who are heirs of salvation. Psalm 103.20 says, Bless the Lord, you his angels that excel in strength, that do his commandments, hearkening unto the voice of his word. Angels hearken. The word hearken in the King James is the Hebrew word to hear and obey. So when you see hearken, it doesn't mean just listen. It means listen and obey. So angels listen and obey the voice of the word of God. It doesn't say who's speaking it. As long as it's being spoken, angels are gonna obey the word spoken. First Peter three twenty-two. Let's see what that one says about angels obeying the word of God. First Peter three twenty-two. Who is gone into heaven, Jesus, and is on the right hand of God, angels and authorities. And powers being made subject unto him. So actually, we could get three things there. Angels are subject to Jesus through the Word. Authorities are subject to Jesus and the Word. And powers, or dunamis, miracles, dynamite power, is subject to Jesus and the Word. Finances, Matthew 17 27. Let's see what that verse says about finances being subject to the Word of God. They were looking for taxes, notwithstanding. Lest we should offend them, go thou to the sea, cast in a hook, take up the fish that first cometh up, and when thou hast opened his mouth, thou shalt find a piece of money. That take and give unto thee for me and thee. Jesus said, I need tax money and fish. All of a sudden, had money in their mouth. I have no interpretation or explanation for that miracle. It just is. Our souls receive with meekness. James one twenty one. Receive with meekness the engrafted word, which is able to save our souls. You and I have the authority to command our souls and it must obey us. You and I have authority to command our thoughts, to command our mind, to bring into captivity every thought, to cast down every imagination and every high thing. If we have authority over our souls, we ought to be exercising it. So let's look at Bible probability and statistics here with our last few minutes. This is kind of what's called uh, apologetics where we look at natural evidence that proves the validity of God and his word and his testimony. According to J. Barton Payne's Encyclopedia of Biblical Prophecies, there are 1,239 Old Testament prophecies and 578 New Testament prophecies for a total of 1,817 prophecies. It's a lot of prophecies. Over 300 prophecies deal with the Lord Jesus Christ. Think about that. So 1,800, we'll say 1,800 to round it down, 1,800 prophecies, 300 of them deal with the Lord Jesus Christ. The chance of one man fulfilling eight prophecies is one in 100 trillion. 100 trillion, that's like the national debt almost. Ha <laughs> ha, almost. <laughs> one in 100 trillion, if one man fulfills eight prophecies, The chance statistically of one man fulfilling 48 of 300 prophecies is 1 times 10 to the 157th power. That means a trillion, a billion has nine zeros, a trillion has 12 zeros, 12 zeros. The probability or the chances of one man fulfilling 48 prophecies is a number that has 157 zeros behind it. That's a massive number expressed in the mathematical statement of 1 times 10 to the E, 157. And we must point out that Jesus Christ of Nazareth fulfilled every one of those prophecies. Now, I'm not sure. This may, there may be a few that haven't been fulfilled yet, as in the rapture, the catching away of the saints. But the prophecies concerning his coming, his redemption, etc., he fulfilled all of them. Way more than 1 times 10 to the 157th power. That's how powerful the word of God is. Now wonder, this thing is mocked. This Bible is mocked all the time. Nobody mocks the Book of Mormon. Nobody mocks the Koran. Nobody mocks the Hindu books. Everybody wants to mock this Bible. And then everybody wants to turn around and quote it to try to control us. We need to make sure as Christians, we exalt this Bible in our life every day. It would be good to go back in some of these scriptures, read them out loud in your home, read them out loud in your apartment, uh, commit them to your heart and read them out loud. Declare to the spirit realm, I trust God's word. God's word is not for any public interpretation. God's word is good for doctrine, for instruction, for correction, for reproof. God's word makes me what I need to be. God's word sets me free. God's word causes weather to line up. God's word causes animals to obey. No reason to ever be afraid of dog. You look at the dog and say, the fear and the dread of me is upon you. It doesn't make you the dog whisperer. It makes you the dog commander. (laughs) Demons flee at the name of Jesus. Sickness is subservient. The name of Jesus is above every name. That includes sickness and disease. Rebuke. Trees whether it's a sycamine or a fig tree. Mountains, if they get in our way, you command them to get out of the way. Angels, we command them to do the word of God and they must go forth. They're ministering spirits sent forth to minister to those who are heirs of salvation. We pray all the time. The angels of God keep guard over my children. That is me commanding angels what to do. We command all the time. Angels, the Lord has given us an assignment. We need you to bring the finances to us. Angels, you are sent forth into the north to calm the spirit of God or to the south to calm the spirit of the Lord there. Angels, we need help calming this. Angels, we need you to bring people in here. You direct folks, angels. You bring them to this church. You steer them. You cause them to notice things. We, we, we do our best, as, maybe not the best, but our best to command angels with the word of God. Finances. Perhaps the most important thing you could command with the Word of God is your own soul. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Hope in God. That's how you use the Word of God and its dominion, its authority to command yourself. This is the authority of God's Word. There's nothing more powerful than the spoken Word of God and the entire earth. We must be men and women that speak God's Word constantly. How do we change any problem in our life? Through prayer. What is prayer? Speaking the word of God back to God and speaking the word of God to the problem at hand. That is prayer. Nothing more, nothing less. Be a doer of God's word. Take authority with God's word and it'll change your life. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this second lesson in Christianity 101. We thank you for the authority of your word. Bless all the listeners. May they catch something May they exercise faith and use your word like never before. We thank you, Lord, for helping us. May these lessons bless all in the future. In Jesus' name, amen.